welcome to another episode of the Viet Quo Show. Today is July 29th, and um, we're recording on a Thursday. It's been a bit of a slow week, sports-wise, but hopefully we'll talk about some baseball. Um, I finally saw my first summer movie since Kick-Ass. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and it's a good one at that, too. I saw Inception, so we'll get to talk about that a little bit. Um, and then maybe a little bit about the TV shows, namely The Wire, uh, Friday Night Lights, and then end it with our weekly Mary Boff Kill. Yeah, it's um, kind of slow, you know, lately. Not yeah, sports talk have, about. Sports have been, this is kind of the, those dog days where the only real sport going on is baseball, and ESPN tries to force feed us, like, Brett Favre drama, drama and, you know, all that crap. Um, which hasn't really gotten into full swing yet, I think, but, um, for now, it's just baseball. Uh, the Dodgers just made a recent trade acquisition, getting Scott Pesednik. Whoopee! I'm going to wet my pants because we got Scott Pesednik. Scotty Pods, how do you feel about that, Steve? I mean, on the same day that the Phillies get Roy Oswalt, I mean, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in this team. It just goes to show you how the front office is bungling it up once again. You know, we we really need an ace pitcher, but we go out and get a fourth outfielder. You know, that, well, so it's it's not really confidence inspiring. It should help keep uh, Garrett Anderson. He of the sub 500 OPS and 211 WOBA off the yeah start out of the starting lineup until Manny comes back. So, so that's good. I mean, that's good. so yeah, they'll be able to play Podsednik and Xavier Paul in left until Manny comes back, which at this point could be the rest of the year. Manny just can't stay healthy since he went off the human growth birth control, whatever he was on. Yeah, Manny, uh, I, I don't know if he's really done. I, I really think that either next year or the year after we'll see kind of a, a rebound year from him, but I don't think he really cares at this point. Yeah, so. I think next year he'll end up in the AL. I mean, he's being paid $20 million this year, and he's not really given us much. So next year he'll find some AL team in need of a DH and he'll just loaf around and hit and he'll probably be great again, which is really frustrating. That's life as a Dodger fan. The Dodgers have do you think you guys are out of the race completely or do you think Not completely just based on the fact that we have four games against the Padres after today and in the next week and also three games against the Giants. So let's say we go, you know, five and two in those seven games, you know, then we're right back in this thing. So, you know, if we get slaughtered this next coming week, then I'd say we're probably out of it. But if we do well, then, you know, it's a race again. There's still two months of baseball left. So there's a lot, a lot of time, a lot of opportunities, especially with all those division games to make up ground. And um, I wouldn't count the Dodgers out. I mean, certainly they're not the front runners at this point, but I think that uh, you know they have as good of a chance to stay in. They're still alive. Meanwhile, the Giants have been on an absolute tear this month. Uh, the best offense in all of baseball over the course of July, which is unthinkable, right? Who would yeah. have thought that? It's uh, really been a. They've been riding the Buster train. Buster Posey's 21 game hit streak snapped today. Oh, um, bummer. Falling just short of Willie McCovey's rookie record of 22 for the Giants franchise, but um, he's been hitting around 450 over the past month with you know six bombs and really just carrying the offense. Andres uh, Torres also Torres as well has really just been on fire in the leadoff spot. 
Um, I think they're 38 and 23 with Torres in the leadoff spot. Um, and then Huff has obviously been solid. And Pablo Sandoval is still not really doing anything. So there's even more – I wouldn't say there's more room for growth because you can't expect Huff, Posey, and Torres to keep it up. But they might not drop off too much if Pablo ever decides to pull his head out and turn himself yeah, around. Yeah, Pablo, I mean he's he's going into kind of a slump. You know, I think guys figured out from last year that he'll swing at every pitch out of the strike zone. So they're feeding him steady diets of breaking balls in the dirt, and he's still swinging at them. Hence, yeah. it's a 60 average. His uh, his plate discipline leaves a little to be desired. And um, the diff- last year, the thing is, even when he got pitched out of the zone, he'd still find a way to square up the ball pretty well. But this year, yeah, he was a little kind of Vlad-esque weird. last year. Exactly, or, or, very know, very he- similar to Vlad in that hack approach. Um, whereas this year, he's just—I don't know what's happened, but he's completely lost that that element you know everything's weekly hit you know no liners he slugged 25 home runs last year i think he's got like six right now um even so. james loney has more home runs than pablo that's bad and james loney's <laughs> out homering you jeez <laughs> he homered today by the way james loney Did he? so he's yeah. got what seven now seven or eight something like that okay yeah well loney's Loney's having a good year though overall, I'd say. You yeah, know, he's got eight homers right now, uh, a 7.73 OPS, which you know it isn't isn't blowing point. the door off the thing, but you know it's quality, it's solid, it's a little above average. Yeah, but yeah, there have been a lot of big trades around the league. Uh, Roy Oswalt moving to the Phillies in exchange for Jay Happ. Uh, Anthony goes and uh, that Villar dude, um, which I think is a steal for the Phillies because they managed not to give up any of their real good prospects, Jared Kosart, Trevor May, or Jonathan Singleton. And Hap is kind of overrated, as much as Nick's going to hate me for saying that. Why is Hap overrated? I mean, he had he a sub three ERA last year as a rookie. He, you know, and he's only he got hurt this year, so he hasn't pitched much. He got really, really lucky. He uh, he stranded like 85% of his runners when the league average is about was 70. Was his BABIP really high? Yes, his BABIP was actually really low. It was around 270. Oh. Um, the league average is 300. So basically, hits weren't falling in, and when guys got on base, they stranded at a higher rate than you'd expect. He doesn't really strike out a whole lot of guys either, which is usually a good indicator of you know, how successful a guy can be. I mean, he's, he's just a finesse lefty, and that's... Not a bad thing. He's There's, a quality starter, though, and a exactly. young guy. He's, so he's a good back-end guy, and he's cheap. Because definitely he's, a major league pitcher. So, you know, props on the props for the Astros for not getting absolutely nothing for Roy Oswalt. Where yeah, it's just it's it's not really what you want when you're sending your ace center. You know, when the centerpiece of the deal is like a number four starter, that's usually not. Yeah, good. talk about centerpieces of deals for aces being number four starters. What about Joe that? Saunders yeah, well. <laughs> that poop platter that the Angels gave up for Dan Heron. Yes. My goodness. Yeah, what a the skill Angels that was. really did not give up a whole lot. I. So it's a tough call because if you're looking at which package each guy got or each team got, um, you know the the, the Diamondbacks. Didn't really get a whole lot. They got Pat Corbin, Tyler Skaggs, and Joe Saunders. So Skaggs and Corbin are both lefties who probably actually have more potential than the guys the Phillies got. But you know Saunders is just not very good. Yeah, and, Saunders is awful. And, and Heron was was like under team control for another year or two with you know relatively reasonable. Yeah, he prices. he doesn't make an exorbitant sum, so it's a good, it's a very good deal for the Angels. 
Exactly. And then likewise for the Phillies, they're getting the Astros to pay 11 million of uh, Oswald's remaining salary. So he's only going to earn 16 million. That's a Ned Coletti-like deal. <laughs> which makes you wonder why Ned Coletti didn't pull it off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Dodgers I think really could use Oswald. He'd fit in perfectly. Oh, definitely. I mean, but, you, you know, you realize the Phillies, the Phillies could have had a staff of Cliff Lee, Doc Holliday, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswald, and Joe Blanton. Can you imagine how nasty that five yeah. like five some would be? It's kind of uh, a fuck up by Ruben Amaro that he didn't keep Cliff Lee. You know, they yeah. would have been dominant this year. Absolutely. And instead, the prospects he got back were not that good. Yeah, there's uh, no reason they should be losing to the Braves. On paper, they're a much better team. Yeah, I think Utley getting hurt has really hurt, yeah. has really, really sunk them. Ditto, uh, Rollins, you know, he's kind of their catalyst. But I think the big, what I like to see in this is that I don't think Ruben Amaro is a very good GM for the Phillies. Which oh, he's is not, yeah. By, you know, the Cliff Lee, Doc Halliday thing. But the thing is, I think Ed Wade's an even worse GM. And basically, it was like the dumb preying on the dumber. So, although, although Oswald, to be fair, didn't give Houston almost, I mean, they had almost no options because of his no trade clause. Yeah. So, um, he had to so go. I mean, two, he's been asking out all season. So, I mean, it was just exactly. a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, those two, uh, those two trades of Heron and Oswald made me feel like if you wanted an ace, this is a pretty reasonable time to get one. The Mar- I mean, the Rangers gave up quite a bit for Cliff Lee because they gave up Justin Smoke, and Cliff Lee's only a, essentially a rental for this year. Right. Uh, but at the same time, Cliff Lee is a step above Danny Heron and Roy Oswald at this yes. point. Well, the Giants have been rumored to be in on Posednik. The Dodgers stole him away, much to... Mike's Are you really that angry about that, though? No, not not, not at all, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> when you, when the opposing fan base doesn't really give a shit, then you know that move is pretty insignificant. I just thought it was pretty funny more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got another uh, light-hitting outfielder. <laughs> exactly, just just what we need. It's like a, a light version of Andres Torres. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought it, it's funny because the Giants, if they had gotten Posenic, they would have probably moved Huff back to first base more. And that would have ended the so-called water buffalo defensive lineman <laughs> of Pat Burrell and Aubrey Huff at the corners in the outfield, which I think is one of the greater nicknames for an outfield. Uh, yeah, that's on fun basis alone. You want that to be preserved, exactly. don't you? Huff and Burrell, those two guys don't move too well. <laughs> but yeah, I think those are pretty much the big names. I don't really foresee. I mean, Worth isn't going to get traded. Hart, I doubt, gets traded. Cantu got traded today. So, I mean, there's pretty much, in my opinion, that's probably going to be it in terms yeah, of... Yeah, Oswald is definitely the big move of this free agent deadline. I don't think anything in the next day or two before the deadline hits is going to be as big as this Oswald move. Exactly. And it's actually been a pretty crazy year in the sense that three aces, or at least one ace and two very good pitchers, all got moved. Um you know, the fact that Lee, Heron, and Oswald all got traded. You know, usually there's such a... Remember, like, you know, Cliff Lee last year and yeah. Matthew the year before? There was such a hoopla around all those guys. Whereas this year, you know, Heron and Lee just kind of snuck under the radar and got shipped out. I mean, there's a lot of hype about Oswald, but the other two kind of just got, you know... Yeah, well, Lee last year and Sabathia, when he got traded to Milwaukee, they were in the midst of Cy Young seasons. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, so... The hype was justifiably higher. I mean, here, Lee is still Cy Young caliber, but Oswald and Heron, I mean, they're solid 
starters. I mean, they're borderline number one guys. Yeah. But you know, Heron's not having that great of a year for. Yeah, he's getting he's getting very very unlucky as well. He, yeah, his ERA so. is over four, and you know, Oswald he's having a regular. Oswald's Oswald actually year. been. Yeah, Oswald's actually been. He has his highest strikeout rate since his rookie season this year, which is kind of impressive. I mean, it sucks because he's playing on Houston and they can't hit or field. But in terms of what he's controlling, what he's doing, he's actually doing a decent job of it. Um, but I think – I would expect – the the other crazy stat I want to point out is that Cliff Lee's strikeout-to-walk ratio this year is 114 to 7. That's ridiculous. It's <laughs> <Which is> just <laughs> absurd. I think the highest – That, that would be a major league record, right, if you finished so, that yeah. season with that? that I believe that's... the highest is around 12, which is already crazy. Kurt Schilling had 9.5 back in, I think, 2001. But 114 to 7 would just obliterate that. That's over 16 strikeouts per walk. <laughs> That's Gagne-esque. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's exactly <laughs> like a, you know, a shutdown closer. I won't name Gagne specifically, but, um, <laughs> pretty crazy. So do you think the Dodgers are done dealing? Yeah, I think this is it. I don't really see them doing much else. I don't think they really have much else to give up. They gave. What did they give up for Scott Pudsednik? Not like two minor leaguers or something. Yeah, Lucas May. And Lucas May, who was a middling, you know, probably a career AAA catcher, and then this A ball guy, this pitcher Pimentel, who I, I had heard of him before, but you know, nothing real, not not real high praise <laughs> for that guy. Yeah, exactly. So really didn't give up much for a fourth outfielder, which is the way it should be. Yeah, uh, honestly. I kind of like the move for the Dodgers. I don't think they gave up anything. And the fact that they don't have to play Garrett Anderson every right. day. This will shore day. up left field until Manny gets back, at which point, yeah. hopefully, Garrett Anderson will be mercifully cut from the team. Boy, he's been just awful. It's, it's amazing <laughs> that he's made it this far. He should have been DFA'd a long time ago. Absolutely. He's just been awful. I, I don't understand... I mean, I would feel like anyone that you guys have in AAA would be a better yeah, option. If they played, if they had Xavier Paul in his spot for the entire year, we would have been much better off. I feel like. I. It's hard to imagine you guys being worse. Than, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to be worse than Garrett Anderson has been this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll see how the rest of the NL West shakes out. Dodgers are hanging on by a thread, and the Giants are really trying hard to catch those Padres. Are the Rockies out of it? I mean, the Rockies are. Not, I mean, they're kind of in the same boat as the Dodgers in terms. They're of They're a little sports. further back than we are, though. Right? Yeah, it's it's they're a little bit behind you guys. Um, they're actually, I think, looking to sell right now. Rumors that they've been trying to trade out Cook and Hop and buy Mole. Yeah, um, they're only two games above 500, which you know is very surprising. They were kind of the preseason favorite in the NL West. Yeah, I would I would have expected them to to take it actually, especially with Abaldo having the year he's having. True. Yeah, absolutely. I think Tulowitzki getting hurt. For yeah, Tulowitzki getting hurt killed them. Helton, kind of getting old, hurt them too. Yeah, De La Rosa has been hurt. Francis has been hurt. I mean, yeah. they've had they've had some holes and injuries. But uh, the Padres just traded for Miguel Tejada as well. Oh, really? Yeah, they just got Tejada for Win Pelzner, who's a, hmm. another prospect. Um, so they have a chance to. I don't even know who he's going to replace. I would assume Everth Cabrera. I hope. I mean, his ER, his OPS is like 550. <laughs> is he even healthy? I don't even know if he's healthy. Who? Maybe Everth. 
Is he playing? Yeah, he's playing today. He's healthy. Yeah, he'll he's, probably replace him because they yeah. have Headley at third, I think. So. Yeah, Everett Cabrera is awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Honestly, half Somehow of the, the Padres are still winning. Though, is awful. Right? I mean, we can't catch up to him. Yeah, I don't understand. They're well, their bullpen is just most dominant. Yeah, and, and the staff has been the whole staff's been really good. Yeah. So. And they have one elite hitter, which is probably until Buster came around, one more than the Giants had. <laughs> um, so we'll see how the NL West shakes out. Yep. A um, couple months to go. Absolutely. Next on our list was going to be a brief discussion of Brian Wilson's awesome shoes, which he got fined for. Um, yesterday. So Brian Wilson started wearing these orange shoes at the All-Star Game to celebrate his Giants pride. And uh, after nailing down the save in Game 2 of this Marlins-Giants series, um, the opposing manager... Freddie Gonzalez. Well, he's gone now. It's, it's oh, is it? Rodriguez or something. Oh, um, yeah, they all kind of look the same. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a racist thing, you know? They just, <laughs> of course they not, just, Steve. I mean, they're all just kind of the same. <laughs> Anyway, um, oh my God, George Sherrill is coming into the game. Oh, this game good. is over. Yeah, you're done. It's it's the tenth inning, top of the tenth, two two, Padres Dodgers, and George Sherrill is in. So might as well turn the TV off now. Probably a good move. Yeah. What do you think of Brian Wilson's orange shoes? I saw a picture of them. They're pretty hideous. I mean, the orange is lighter than the normal giant orange, so it doesn't really match to begin with. So, I mean, if it was a little darker, it could, you could, I could see it looking pretty good, kind of like how the NBA players, you know, some of them wear really loud looking shoes to match their uniforms. But the orange was too pastel for the uniform and it, so, it just looked terrible. Oh, Steve. I think they're very fashionable. <laughs> um, I think I would some nice Black spikes with maybe some orange trim would look good. But well, did you see? Did you see what he did to it? Uh, like, did you see the sharpie that he colored on it? No, I didn't. Uh, so, I guess the major league rules are something like you have to have at least half of it colored in the primary color. So he took a sharpie and colored half the bottom of his shoe, like <laughs> the bottom part. And so now it's like orange and black, and then he blew the save. <laughs> That's what he gets. Yeah, his quote was also great. Um, his quote was. I didn't know that my shoes could enhance my ability so much. I didn't know the shoes could throw 97 to 100 with cut. Maybe we should start testing for performance-enhancing shoes now. Um, he's kind of a weird guy. He's kind of funny, though, Brian Wilson. Yeah, he, he's a character. He's kind of like a Christian version of John Rocker is how I think of him. Maybe <laughs> yeah. not, not as crazy. And John Rocker, not, but not an asshole. Not an idiot, not an asshole, not a racist, not a homophobe. But um, other than that, you know. <laughs> George Sherrill just gave up a single to left, by the way. To who? To, uh, I don't know, some guy, some nameless guy. Some oh, nameless. oh, one of the Hairstons. Oh, okay, Scott or Jerry, one of the yeah, two? one of them. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, well, let's see. Let's switch gears quickly to a non-sports topic. Yeah, I think we're pretty much done with sports for this week because there's really not much else to talk about. But there's plenty going on in the summer in the entertainment world. The most, probably the most anticipated movie of this summer just came out two weeks ago. It was Christopher Nolan's follow-up to The Dark Knight, Inception. And it's been getting great reviews from everyone and everywhere. 
and Paul just saw it last night for the first time. So your quick reactions, Paul, what did you think? It was pretty crazy. My first reaction was, how does someone come up with an idea like that? I mean, just conceptually, uh, because it's an entirely, at least from what I've seen, new, you know, new idea, new genre, new bounds. And then I read that it took him 10 years. Yes. Like he was working on it for 10 years and then it suddenly made a little more sense. It's very refreshing because most of the movies that come out now are adaptations or sequels or they're not original works. So when a truly original screenplay comes along, it's a great thing. And when a truly great original screenplay comes along, it's even better. I mean, if, if something comes along that beats this for best original screenplay, <laughs> I mean, I'll be floored. Better be a hell of a movie. Yeah, this, this has probably got that Oscar locked up. Absolutely. I, I, so I guess my take on it overall is I thought it was really good. I really liked it. I don't think I understood all of it. But I thought that it was entertaining, but also like really made you kind of think about things, which is exactly the type of movie that I like. You know, I really like movies where you're kind of you're not just kind of like stuff isn't just thrown at you. You're kind of just puzzling it along. Yeah, you it's it's along. kind of like The Wire in that aspect where you exactly. have to pay attention to it out. or else exactly. you're going to get lost. <laughs> um, and I probably got lost a decent amount there, but I really enjoyed the cat. Well, I really enjoyed the cast, although I was kind of thrown off at first by the Third Rock from the Sun guy. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. A- Did you see yeah. 500 Days of Summer? I actually didn't see 500 Days of Summer. He was very good in that role. I mean, he's. I heard he's made the leap from like yeah. child actor to, uh, well, real actor. I guess he was. He was just kind of the weird kid on Third Rock from the Sun, and he was in Ten Things I Hate About You. He was and also then- in Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, yeah, he was the kid in Angels in the Outfield. And then nobody heard from him for years, and I, I guess he went to college or something. And all of a sudden, we see him in 500 Days of Summer and G.I. Joe as Cobra Commander, <laughs> and now Inception. So his career has really taken off again after that college hiatus. I had heard, God, because I looked him up after I saw the movie, and he's going to be in something else, too, where I was like really surprised that that part was given. Oh, I think he's going to be the Riddler. No, well, that's rumored. Oh, that's okay. rumored. That hasn't been confirmed. Steve is the authority. I, I'm unaware. Yes, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very keen in, keen in, in on the the Batman rumors. And yeah, okay. it, it's a rumor. His name has been thrown in there with Johnny Depp and a bunch of other people as to who's going to be the next Batman villain. But yeah, he seems to be the leading candidate right now to play the Riddler, being that he has a relationship with Christopher Nolan. And mm-hmm. that he's a great young actor, and so you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think I think he did a good job. I think they're I writing wanna... the script right now for Batman Three, so okay, they're scheduled to start filming it next year, and it'll come out in 2012. I so in this movie, I was really curious to see. I I didn't really know a whole lot going in because the trailer does a pretty good job of just like leaving it really vague. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Probably but, I mean, too good of a job of doing that. Yeah, exactly. They knew what this was about before they exactly. actually saw it. But you see all those special effects, and you're like, well... And then you hear it's about like dreams and stuff, and you're like, how the heck does... I mean, you can kind of see where the relationship is. Yeah, they don't but, make sense, but in, in the context the, of the movie, they all make perfect sense. Yeah, and they're, and they're, they're really well done, too. Yeah. And the, the my favorite scene is probably the fight scene in the hotel. With, right, uh, yeah, that's an amazing scene. That was... I mean... I don't really get that worked up about fight scenes anymore because they all kind of just seem the same to me. 
But that one, for whatever reason, was just really cool. Right. Like, yeah, I saw the behind-the-scenes featurette of how they oh, filmed yeah. that. I would love they, to see that. They basically created that hallway in this cylindrical tube, and they fixed the camera on that so it would always be like rotating one reference point. Yeah, so it would rotate with the hallway. And so they just rotated that around while the actors hung on wires and oh, you know yeah. flew around. And so that that's how they got the the hallway to rotate around like that and that they got gravity to stay the same where the actors could walk up and down the walls and all. That's really cool. I, it's, I think yeah, it's really cool to watch. I, I think it's one of those things where you remember like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out and that was like in a fight scene sense, really revolutionary in the sense that, you know, you got such a different perspective from it. Yeah, yeah, for the American audience, at least. I mean, because yeah, yeah, exactly. the Chinese kung fu movies have been doing that for a while. But, yeah, it was pretty revolutionary for people on over on this side of the ocean. Right, and, and I feel like this was this scene really stuck out to me. In yeah, it was – a lot of people have been comparing it to The Matrix in that it's yeah. kind of revolutionary, revolutionary in the way it does its special effects. I don't know if I go that far. And the also, really, kind of the, me, the unconscious, yeah, yeah, level of the, the Matrix was, you know, a movie that really made you also consider things much more than you, you know, on the surface. It's just like, wow, it's crazy special effects, but you know, you think about it a little bit more. It's obviously yeah. much deeper. Than that. Well, let's just spoil it. I mean, because I want to <laughs> talk about this. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, fast forward now because we're going to talk about plot details. And I've read articles. Postulating that the entire movie is a dream. Yes. And I'm. Have you read that? I've read that. I've read the Indian guy's interview. Have you read it? That. No, I haven't. Uh, the Indian guy takes that as a possibility, but he thinks that the top at the end is going to topple. He, he hears it. So toppling. he thinks it's. So he, he thinks, thinks it's, it's reality. reality at the end. He does. What yeah. do you th- do? You think it's reality, or, or do you think it's a dream? Yeah. I think it's reality. I could see it. I mean, it's great that, that you know that you have to think about it. Yeah, I that's probably. I think I just want it to be grouped in reality. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's a function of your personality. I think it, it, about, of what you think the ending was. If you're more pessimistic, you think it's probably a, a dream at the end. If you're more optimistic, you think the top stops spinning. I, I mean, I don't know if I consider myself a pessimistic person. If I consider myself a glass half empty person, but. I personally think it's a dream at the end, just based on the logic that he comes back and it's the exact same scene from his dream where his kids are playing in the exact same spot they were when he left. They yeah. have the exact same clothes on, and you know it's it just it's too much of a coincidence for me to think that it's reality and it's just happening exactly the same way over again, except they look at him this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I, I see the argument for that. I kind of feel like it's a bit of a not a cop out, but it's just it's just such a different interpret I mean, the movie was good enough that you'll feel satisfied even if you think it's a dream at the end. But at the same time, for whatever reason, I just feel like it's it doesn't really close everything off, right? Yeah, I mean it doesn't uh, after they wake up on the airplane though, there's not much dialogue True. If much if any at all for the rest of the movie. I mean Leo just basically makes a beeline for his house mm-hmm. and you know that that kind of feeds into my theory here where everything after he i mean my theory it's is almost that, like unimportant right yeah but, he basically he doesn't wake up from limbo he when he goes down to get ken watanabe he stays trapped there 
and he's living from then on in his dream world where you know he gets to go home and play with his kids but because he's accepted that his wife is gone from him that that allows his kids to be able to turn around and look at him in his own mind and it allows him to kind of accept that it wasn't his fault and that his wife is truly gone yeah i think so that's just uh, my theory i mean <laughs> I, there's a lot of None of us really know, right? Yeah, nobody really knows except for Christopher Nolan, and even I don't even know if he, <laughs> he really knows. Even... <laughs> yeah, he could have purposefully not He's thought. He's probably like, well, this is exactly what I intended, and I have no idea. <laughs> it's kind of a cop out. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of lazy for the filmmakers to do this. I mean, a lot of people were frustrated when The Sopranos did this, and they didn't. You know, they just faded to black at the end, and nobody knew what happened. You know, so. I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about filmmakers doing this. It's kind of a cop-out. You're right. It's it's tough to... I think in this case, it's tough to be really... You can't really be a... Yeah, I forgive him because... because he, did, yeah. he did such a crazy job. He did such a good job of setting that up. Because the rest of the film is so great, I, I, exactly. I forgive him for that, yeah. And and it fits in pretty well. That's how he wanted it to be, you know? Yeah, and um, if you want controversy, this is the ending that you go with, you know? Exactly. So definitely so, get people talking about your movie. Yeah, and I thought I don't know. I overall I just thought it was really really well done. I wish I understood everything better, but I'll probably have to read some blogs and such to educate myself. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean I, I think f- for right now, I mean this is the front runner for best picture. I don't I don't think I've seen a better movie yet this year. I don't think I've seen any other movie. This year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, around Christmas time all of the Oscar candidates all come out, so We'll wait and see. Usually the summer movies don't win. I mean, as right. evidenced by the Dark Knight snub last year. Oh, man. Um, which is really, it, it's a shame that it didn't even get nominated. It's that really a, a Travisham mockery. Mm-hmm. That was easily one of the best five films of the year. That was uh, a fantastic. Not last year, but two years ago. Uh, when, yeah, and 2008. The, the fact that the reader got nominated over the Dark Knight is, is just stupidiculous. I, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see what happens here. I, I saw the preview for your other movie you talked about a while ago, the Scott Pilgrim one. Yeah, do you and, see the uh, the preview or trailer for that one? I did. It's very I comic book, video game. I'll probably see that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's less of my genre, but yeah, um, it's very it eccentric. Be- I mean, if you grew up playing video games like Mario and Street Fighter and all that, I mean, you'll appreciate all of the references that are in there. But if you didn't grow up doing those kind of things, then you might not get it. You know? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get it. Yeah, and I, I, didn't play I wouldn't really games. blame you for for not getting it because you know it's all a function of what you grew up doing and what which of those inside jokes you you get. And then it just kind of turns into a Michael Sarah awkward fest. Yeah, it, it's uh, kind of a movie for geeks. You know. Mhm. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Any other movies you're excited to see this summer? Um, The Expendables, which comes out the same day as Scott Pilgrim, the Sly hmm. Stallone macho fest with all the all those great action heroes. Yes, yes. I'm kind of um, is that the one that Arnold makes a cameo in? Yeah, Arnold and Bruce Willis both make cameos in that movie. Good to see our governor still has time to focus. Yeah, on still hasn't signed the state budget, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> but he has time. To go and film a spot in a sliced alone. It was only a cameo. Let's not hold it right. against him right. now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's pretty funny. 
Well, I'm not really aware of what else is coming out, so you'll have to continually educate me to make me see something. I still haven't even seen Toy Story 3. Well, me neither, yeah. Oh, really? I skipped that one, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, I heard it was really good. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's gotten a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes, Yeah, everyone cried, so I mean, it must be amazing. Have you ever... Uh, I mean, when was the last time you cried at a movie? I don't think I've cried in a movie for a long time. Well, see, I cry in most sports movies. Yeah, so. see, Field of Dreams, I think, the first time I saw Field of Dreams, uh, mm-hmm. I, I let a few go, and yeah. uh, I think the last movie I remember crying in uh, since then was United 93. Did you ever see that one? No, no I didn't see oh, that Oh, that was so, be, yeah, it was I so could see how that would be draining. Very <laughs> yeah. At the end, you're just, you're just done. Yeah, um, I could, oof. that's a tough one to watch just in general, I think. Yeah. Uh, you have to be a little masochistic to be able to watch that movie. Yeah, that's that's impressive that you got through that. I think for me, most sports movies will do it, but you know, I'll try to hold back. The and it's funny because I usually remember the scenes. So like, remember the Titans? Every time Julius and Gary are yelling like "strong side, left side," that one gets me every single time. Like, <laughs> even if I watch it now, I'll definitely. Yeah, how can you watch that now, knowing that it's Avon Barksdale? I know, it's so different. <laughs> in Miracle, when they start, you know, when Mike Ruzioni says he plays for the U.S. Oh, yeah, that scene got me a little misty. That one got me going. I was really inspect- expecting Invictus to do it to me, but it didn't. I never um, saw Invictus. I heard it was disappointing. Yeah, I had extremely high expectations for it. Miracle, and, though, was a great movie. and Yeah, that, that was really good. Yeah. I, I really liked Miracle. Coach Carter, I'm trying to think if I... I might have gotten no. teary a little bit when the Mexican kid, like, gets beat. No. I don't, Coach Carter I, was a little melodramatic for me. I, I didn't really... That really it was movie, too, too MTV. Yeah, yeah, it didn't really do it for me. You know, I, th- I thought they were trying a little too hard with that movie. I feel you. But yeah, I guess in general, those sports movies really... Uh, they strike me harder. But I think I also am more willing to admit that. And then in the other movies, I just usually try to hold it out and not, you know, get teary or whatever. But, you know, it happens. So. Yeah, no, nothing wrong with that. No, no, no stain on your masculinity. If you I'm not let afraid to express my emotional side in movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked about The Wire, so let's talk about The Wire for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's here. move on to TV. Um, I am nine episodes into season season two of The Wire. How do you like it so far? And yeah, I like it a lot. It's a Definitely a switch up from season one where they focused in on the Barksdale drug organization. This time it's focusing on the docks and Frank Zapotka and the Stevedores union. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a very different, it's, it's very interesting to see all these white guys on the show. You know, you, <laughs> after watching season one, you hardly see any white guys. And so, you know, to see all these white guys running around doing bad things, it's kind of refreshing, I must say. <laughs> but you notice a lot of parallels to the way the Barksdale crew was run, you know, as to how these, how the Stevedores are run, and how Frank Sapatka is kind of the Avon Barksdale figure of the union, and mm-hmm. Nikki Sabatka is kind of like the D of the stevedores and you know the only thing that doesn't really fit is ziggy, ziggy. fucking ziggy who i <laughs> hate with all of my passion and i would i couldn't i couldn't want him to die more <laughs> if the greek 
Skies came in or like Prop Joe or anyone came in and just busted a cap in his head, I, I would have, I would be so happy. He is so annoying. Fucking Zig. Yeah, Zig's, uh, he might be the most unique character you'll see. I mean, there are a lot of crazy characters, like a lot of weird characters, but Zig's just like straight out of left field. I, know, I feel like they put him in the show purposely just to piss you off. He, I've never really thought too much about season two because it's pretty different than the rest of them. But the more you think about it, the less sense Zig makes, except for the fact that there are people like that. And uh, I think that's – I don't really know yeah. what other purpose he's there is. He's childish. He's petulant. I mean I don't – I guess the metaphor that, I, that, that comes to mind is that he's kind of like a douchebag frat boy. But Yeah, but he's not really – I mean I think he's more of just like a spaz. He's just like a maladjusted, socially awkward. Yeah, he's a fuck up. He can't do anything right. And you figure that if his parents would have given, put him in a position where he wouldn't have had any responsibility, like say, you know, go off to college and be a frat boy, just party and be an idiot, which he's very good at, you know, that he wouldn't be in such a fucked up situation. But because his, his father has such tunnel vision and he thinks that being a stevedore is the only way to live your life, that you know, it, it it kind of ruined his son in that way. The Sabatka family is a good, you know, it's it's very you're saying you're drawing parallels to the drug organizations, but it's also at the same time a very unique kind of different way of looking at things. And right. it, it's the it blue collar mentality. They're they're exactly. kind of ignorant to all of the opportunities that are available to. So but I think they're especially also white people, you know. They're white, so <laughs> they've got well, they've already got a heads up start on all of the other black people in Baltimore. I think yes and no. I think that, but I think also, you know, in this case you're really seeing where kind of being born in socioeconomically really plays as much of an impact. I mean, there are black stevedores too who are in these right. same shit, getting shit faced every morning before work. And I think you know, it's it's just kind of what they're used to. They they're used to the docks. It's all they've known their entire lives. And you can't really, you know, it's kind of like what you would consider to be like, you know, white trash or something like that. Right. Not not calling them white trash, but the sense that. Well, let's be honest. They kind of are white trash. (laughs) Kind of. But I mean, like, just because they're white doesn't mean that they have, you know, the superior ability to to leap bounds. I mean, you see like Nikki. But they definitely do have more opportunity than the black people do. I mean. I think they're outwardly they have, you know, maybe. There is a mention. Against, but let's say you know when Nikki goes to look for an apartment in a different neighborhood, like you know right. he the gentrification out of, of that neighborhood where his the, the house where his aunt used to live, yeah, it puts him out of his price range, and yeah, that I mean that doesn't really I have much feels, to do with his I race. Think he feels uncomfortable too, you know, he's not used to being in a different type of area. Yeah, race and class are two different types of separation, definitely, and they can both be just as preventive for moving up. Right, because in this case, you know, I don't see any difference between the black dock workers and the white dock workers. Well, I mean, they do mention Ziggy's brother. I mean, I think in a in a conversation that Frank has with Ziggy, um, Frank does mention once that Ziggy's brother went off to college, and we don't get any mention of him other than that (laughs) until now. But that mention did make me think that you know, okay, so. He, you know, yeah, these people do have opportunities. It's just Frank doesn't think for his sons to take advantage of them 
you know, uh, I think his Ziggy's brother went off to college. I think Frank was saying because his mother wanted him to do that. So, you know, in Frank's mind, being a stevedore is really the only way to. Well, it's just what he life, knows. You know? it's, yeah, it's, it's what the same he knows. as being. It's same as being, you know, a coal worker in like West Virginia, where you know you've your whole family's been coal workers forever. This is just. It's not the same, issue. yeah, adaptability that yeah. say the lobbyist who Frank was talking to has where he told him the story of his grandfather being a knife sharpener and working hard and making sure his kids went off to college instead of, you know, joining the union. Right. I think one of the best things about this show is that so obviously race plays a very large part of the show, you know, because you see well, I mean, just in general because so much of it is focused right. on race is black race is but prevalent, but it's not the forefront issue. Right, I was going to say, at the same time, I also think it makes almost no impact in the yeah. show, because you see the same types, you see the same people of different races in the same jobs acting the same way, you know, and uh, I mean, I don't know how far you've gotten into season two, but I'm sure you've seen white drug dealers as well, Yes, and they have their own white drug structures. <laughs> white Mike, exactly. Frog, Frog is funny, I like Frog. Frog's a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the purpose is that, you know, even in, within the police department, within the politicians, like, you know, there's white politicians, there's black politicians, there's white police officers, there's black police officers. They don't necessarily act any differently. They're all just kind of the same. But I think class makes a big difference. You know, you're, right. you're stuck with kind of where you're used to, uh, regardless of your race. And I'm not saying there aren't, you know, racial undertones or, but, you know, yeah, I feel nothing happens on the show because of race. Yeah. You know, there are no race riots, no race wars. That's not what the show is about. The show is about institutions and how they are failing and how bureaucracies prevent anything real from getting done. I mean, that, that's how I, and you know, the, the crookedness of everything in an American city and how everything is connected. It's, yeah. it's really not about race. It's about, it's about the interconnections of a city and what they do to its people. I think it's a good it's a good example of especially because they pick you know it, it's very glamorous to take you know a city like New York or a city like LA you know where you see such a large disparity of you know success and failure and you know a glam like a glamorous environment but I think it's great that you take you know a rugged tough city like Baltimore which you know they have their they have things that they're proud of I'm sure but at the same time, they're just like a lot of other cities in the U.S., right? And I think that you can really relate a lot of the issues that Baltimore sees to a lot of the other cities out there. And I think is, I mean, what's great about each season is that it, it starts to really tie together. I mean, this season, out of all of them, probably is the most disjoint because, you know, you can kind of see like you know how the drug trade is funneled in and through the dock workers, but. It's really once you get into the politics, the education, the the media, where you really start to see how all these pieces just play together. Uh, so you're in for a treat. Can't I, wait. I've actually started rewatching random episodes now because every time you talk about it, I just I need to go back and like, rewatch. <laughs> so like last night, I rewatched uh, Wallace get getting shot. I couldn't remember who shot him, whether it was Bodie or Poot, and you know it's it's funny because like. Things that seem like a huge deal when you first watched it in season one, you know, by the time you get to season four or five, you're like, oh, well, whatever, you know, like that happened so long ago. Yeah. That was kind of significant. But you go back and you rewatch and you're like, I remember why, like you remember, like I remembered why 
people have such a large affinity for Wallace, right? Because in the grand scheme of things, he's not that big of a character. But at the time, they did such a good job of, you know, really making you kind of feel for Wallace and, right. you know, starting to relate to him as opposed to just a random kid that gets shot. In the volume so, of season one, he he's kind of the metaphor for an innocent, naive hope, you know? He's kind of the untouched, you know, even though he is a drug dealer, he is kind of the young, uncorrupted one who still has yeah, a, who he, still he has still a chance. Yeah, he still has doubts. And honestly, D does too, right? I mean, that's what makes D different than most of the guys. I mean, you look at the guys at the Avon level, you know, like Weebay and Stringer and right. Avon and, you know, before Monk got shot and uh, – or sorry, not Monk uh, – Stinkum and all that, like you know, those guys—they're veterans, right? They're soldiers. They know what they're doing. They're—they're they're not going to change. But you can see in the, and even you can see with Bodhi, especially, you know, he's—he's going to grow up to be like them because right. he's so—he's hard, right? Yeah. But D still has, you know, that kind of—he still questions, right? He's not a hundred percent sold on the route that he wants to go down. He still wonders why things happen, and that's the—it's kind of like the impressionable phase in the sense that. He can be quote unquote saved, right? If if he had you know went down the other route. Yes, and it speaks to what the views of the people who run the show are that both of those hopes got killed. True, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, it's it's true because it's you realize how ruthless you know guys like Stringer and Avon have to be. It's very you know? sobering. Yes, it, it's they're not you know they're still employed, they're still doing their jobs, but the fact that they even have doubts. Is enough to get them killed, right? Especially yeah. with Wallace, right? I mean, D, D, you could tell he was very. I mean, he almost flipped, and then he, you know, said a statement and everything. Wallace was just like kind of, you know, he was. Wallace was off. completely oblivious to the fact that he was going to get capped. Exactly. And yeah, he got got. <laughs> uh, you'll see. You'll see some more, and I think in season four, especially with uh, when the when the schools come into play. I mean, if you think you're seeing something with Wallace now, it'll be even more interesting to see kind of the kids because those are the kids where they take, you know, diverging paths and they have the opportunity to either make something more of themselves or end up on the corner. And you'll see who ends up where. Well, so, I can't wait. I'm, I'm stoked for you, Steve. I'm really excited to see you just power through these. <laughs> I'm going through them at a pretty good pace, I think. You are. You are. Um, and I'm, you also, how are you going through Friday Night Lights? Where are you uh, at right now? So I've been a little bit busy lately, but I've only done the first episode of season three. But I did read all of the season two recaps online because you told me not to watch them. And right, because they're I'm, awful. I'm kind of <laughs> glad I did because I know that when you're reading them online, it's like, well, like this looks kind of stupid, but I can easily gloss over it. But if if that was being shown on TV repetitively, I probably would have gotten. Really oh annoyed. yeah, it's very frustrating. I mean, you, let's go. You want to go over the storylines? Sure. Of yeah. Season two. All right. The big storylines of season two are Smash Williams gets rejected from basically every school he goes he uh, applies to because of his bum knee that he fucked up in the playoffs. Um, so season three begins with him trying to work his way back. Tim Riggins goes to Mexico for a while. Lila Garrity becomes Christian and she gets this Christian boyfriend who's kind of weird. Uh, Jason Street knocks up this waitress. <laughs> uh, Matt Saracen starts banging his grandma's house sitter. <laughs> 
Come I on, mean, Saracen. Yeah, and come on, Saracen. Julie like leaves Matt, and she starts going after this rocker guy, and starts acting like a stupid little girl. And probably the definitely the worst storyline of season two is Tyra's attempted rapist comes back and tries to get her again, and Landry ends up killing him, and they end up getting rid of the body, and Aaron Pierce, who is revealed to be Landry's dad, comes in and burns the body and burns the car and <laughs> destroys all the evidence. And what a so, good dad. Yeah, and through all of these stories, there's hardly any room for football, which makes season two just terrible on every level. <laughs> and so when season three starts and it gets back to being good, it's such a relief. That's great. I'm glad to hear that the show is salvaged in a sense because if it had kept up with what I was reading from 2, I wasn't really going to have it. Um, the thought of Landry killing someone is absurd. I have to say that the choice of Aaron Pierce casted as his dad is a great move because I think they look kind of similar. They do, yeah. So that's that's good for that. But yeah, I, I, you know, when I watched the first episode of 3, because I didn't watch 2, I was like, do I really – like? Am I that out of touch where I don't know what's going on? But I guess, you know, a lot of stuff happened in those eight episodes that were never produced, so. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I got excited enough, and actually the ending scene where, you know, Taylor's trying to convince Smash he could still do it, that was a little bit of a choke-up scene for me. I got, you know, I got kind of touched by the yeah, coach. Yeah, that was. You see, coach, coach really believes in Smash and knows that he can play big-time college football. Which is good for Smash, so yeah. I think, I think that's, Enough of a positive that I was definitely, you know, a little yeah. bit. I I enjoyed that last bit definitely. Um, and as far as where it's going, there's obviously the new kid McCoy in town. J D McCoy, yeah. You'll you'll you'll. I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't say anything about him. But okay. him and his dad become, and his whole family really become very prominent in season three. I think that's good because I was looking at kind of the returning players. And it's only like Saracen and Riggins, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Other than that, because they inexplicably retroactively made Tim Riggins a sophomore in season. <laughs> you know that that's the one thing that bothers me about all of these high school shows. Basically, they keep yeah. their kids in high school forever. Yeah. But fr- and they also Friday have Night like, Lights. Yeah. When, they also have like twenty-five-year-olds playing them. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, when, when when Friday Night Lights started, you assumed that Street and Garrity and Riggins were all seniors. And Tyra, also, you assume that she's a senior. But, you know, once the se- once they found out that, you know, they were going to get renewed and they were going to have more seasons and they didn't want to get rid of these characters so quickly, they just retroactively made everyone but Street a sophomore. <laughs> and they and made it's probably because a Street was hurt that he couldn't, you know, yeah. what's the point of putting him down a few grades, right? Yeah, it, it's a little annoying, though, because you recognize what they're doing, and it kind of takes a little of the magic out of the TV. Yeah, <laughs> it's to be expected by this point when you have uh, yeah. when you have that happen. But I think a few of the, th- the other qualms I have, which are, you know, kind of just minors, I, I really feel like, first of all, I think it would be great to have another... Uh, Another player as kind of like a main focal character, like like I like Saracen, I like Riggins, you know, I like Smash, obviously, and all them. Um, but it just feels like it's missing, like you know, a defensive player or like a lineman or even a wide receiver. Like they oh. basically they basically only have Saracen and Riggins do stuff, right? right. Saracen, Riggins, it's, <laughs> it's like, either Saracen and Riggins if, on every play. If, yeah. if he's passing the ball, he's gonna pass it to the fullback. 
pass the ball is going to pass the running back. Like, no wide receiver that's prominent. There's no defensive play. You never even see defensive play much. The other main qualm I have, and this is not really my effective pick, but I just think this should be a more prominent block besides Smash. Like, another one, at least one. Because, I don't know, in this environment, obviously a large part of the team is black. Like, not the majority, but, you know, a significant amount. And it just seems weird to have only one main black guy and everyone else be white. Well, season three, I'll just tell you right now, there are no important, you know, no prominent players on the team who are black. Basically, the important players on the team in season three are Matt, Tim Riggins, and J.D. McCoy. And no one else really... Oh, and Landry starts playing football. Which so. <laughs> <laughs> is also a joke, but... Yeah. Landry's great, though. He's funny. Yeah, he's, he is. He's, I don't... I haven't watched two, and I haven't watched three, so I'm hoping I won't be, like... It won't be, like, an overdose of Landry, because he strikes me as a character that would be really good in, like, short bursts as, like, comedic relief. Yeah. But if you're going to, like, center stuff around him, I'm not sure how well that would Well, work wait out. till season four, because once season four comes around, uh, the main character who coincidentally is Wallace from The Wire, uh, he becomes uh, Coach Taylor's quarterback, and he becomes the main character of Season 4. So Michael Jordan, which is the name of the Yeah, that's his real name. (laughs) Michael Jordan, it's great. Yeah, so Michael Jordan is the main character of Season 4, and and you'll get a lot more black people once that comes around. But I don't want to say anything else because it'll spoil the story for you. No, that's great. I, I just feel like there needs to be, you know, a little bit more diversity. Because, you know, all these Texas football movies, maybe it's really like that in Texas high school football, but it's like, it's so formulaic. It's like stud, black running back, like really cool white quarterback, and then like badass fullback. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like varsity blues, Friday Night Lights the movie, Friday Night Lights the book, like, you know, it's or the the TV show. It's, you know, kind of all formulaic in that sense. Um, They've done a great job, so I'm not trying to rag on him at all but i would wouldn't be opposed to some more racial equality yeah <laughs> but yeah so i'll let you know how that one progresses hopefully i can power through a bunch of them and keep us everyone updated shall we move to the chuck fucker mary for the week yeah all right let's finish up um i have to admit i had to look up it was tough for me to find a group to ask you for but i'll let you go first if you want okay um i will go first then Okay. The this week I have Indian actresses as the Mary Buff Kill of the Week, and the reason I have Indian actresses is because while I was thinking of something to do for this this week at work today, um, the Indian guy who works in my office who cusses a lot walked by my office and was cussing under his breath about something, and so I thought of Indian people and hot Indian women. So, Paul, here is my Mary Boff Kill of the Week to you. Three Indian actresses. First, we have Parminda Nagra, who is the girl from Bendit Like Beckham and later in ER. Um, Frida Pinto, who is the girl from Slumdog Millionaire. And Aishwarya Rai, who is a Bollywood superstar, and many people have compl- have labeled her as the most beautiful woman on earth. Now, I don't really believe that myself, but, you know, she is an Indian national treasure. So okay. saying saying bad things of Aishwarya Rai in India is punishable by death, I think. Um, I would also say that in the world is just relative to the fact that there's so many Indian people in the world. But yeah. I don't see <laughs> there. Um, so I have to admit, I had to look up uh, 
Advaria Rai or Ashwarya Rai and Parmindanagra because I actually didn't see Bend It Like Beckham. Really? I'm not, yeah, and I'm not too familiar with the Indian pop scene. The the, ball, the, pop the movie scene. that kind of you know along with Pirates of the Caribbean launched Kira Knightley's career. Yes, and I'm uh, trust me, I'm very familiar with Kira Knightley, uh, <laughs> but I I actually didn't see Bend It Like Beckham. So. Anyway, on that note, I did see Slumdog Millionaire, and I really did like Frida Pinto, so I think I will marry her. I just looked up this uh, Ashwarya Rai, and she also, while maybe not hottest in the world, um, she's definitely very good looking. So I will do her, and I will chuck the other one. (laughs) Parminder Nagra, huh? Yeah. What about you? Well, I'll agree with you that I will marry Frida Pinto. She's just she's very pretty and she seems nice. <laughs> and even though we we know absolutely nothing about her, she just she I mean, the character she played in Slumdog, which is the most any of us know about her at this point, um was a very, you know, nice, you know, marryable like character, so we we sympathize with that and I will choose to marry Frida Pinto. Okay. Um, I'll have to disagree with you, though, on the other two. I will take the ire of the Indian people and kill Aishwarya. Wow. Rai. Any reason? Um, she just seems kind of fake to me. <laughs> I mean, you look at her; she has like blue eyes, and there's like she does hypnotizing blue eyes, and you know that can't be real because she's Indian. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she seems very made up, and I'm not really a fan of that, of, you know, just super, you know, makeup, plastic surgery. I mean, she does, she, you could definitely tell that she's an actress by looking at her for the first time after like half a second. So, you know, that, that kind of turns me off a little bit. And yeah, she's good looking, but, uh, I think I'm gonna chuck her, and I'm going to fuck Parminder Nagra, who, you know, while, Bend It Like Beckham launched Kira Knightley's career. They, Parminda Nagra kind of got overlooked. You know, she's pretty good looking herself, I think. She had a nice career on ER after that movie as really? the Indian doctor. So yeah, she was on ER, <laughs> she was the Indian doctor on ER for a few years after that movie. So, and I, th- I think she's very good looking. She's Did you great. consider putting Padma Lakshmi on at all? I didn't really count her because she's. I figured that she's just American, and I wasn't sure if she was Indian okay. or Pakistani or what she okay. was. Okay. So yeah, she would definitely go. You know, she would shoot to the top of the list if I thought she was. You know, for for some reason, I didn't think of her when I was thinking of Indian girls. That's okay. No, that's that's just the first one that comes to mind for me. So. Is she Indian? I think she is Indian. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Maybe some other time. She can go in the Eva Mendez category. Yeah, but yeah, Padma Lakshmi. Yeah, she's spectacular, Padma Lakshmi. <laughs> she can cook for me anytime. <laughs> well, you know, the very first episode we did, we did, uh, I believe, the three Jessicas, uh, and we had said that there really wasn't a wrong decision unless you decide to marry Simpson. Um, <laughs> well, I think this game is fun when you also put some really tough choices in there in the sense that maybe you can't make a right decision. So that's what I'm going to do this week. We're going to go with, uh, female rappers. And honestly, I don't even know what I'm going to pick yet. So I'll just read off the names. You get the choice between Missy Elliott, Lil' Kim, and Lil' Mama. I don't even oh know if Lil' Mama's a rapper. 
but she's really annoying. Yeah, she's. T- if you watch the show America's D- Best Dance Crew, you want to strangle Little Mama. Absolutely. She is just awful. Yeah. So, Steve, how about it? God, this is really the <laughs> poo-poo platter, Paul. Well, see, I, this, I, is, this is what makes this game fun because you know sometimes you have to take a bullet. You have yeah, to, I really don't when know. When you have what a bad situation, here. you have to figure out what to do. Uh okay. Well, all right. I think I'm gonna have to chuck Missy Elliott because let's just be honest here. She's not attractive at all <laughs> no, in any not. sense. And so yeah, she's got to go. Even though she's the most talented out of the three. Um. Yeah, she's got to go. And God, I have to marry either Lil Kim or Lil Mama. Yeah, just shoot me right now. That's not an option. You already killed someone. Okay. Well, Lil Kim has been to jail, and so if you marry her, you might actually, you know, have some shit go down on you. So, you know, just to be out of the proximity of the incarcerated, I'm going to fuck Lil Kim, and I'll have to marry Lil Mama. Good God. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's You know, you see how I worked backwards on this one? Like, I decided which... <laughs> I went from the <laughs> negative angle rather than yeah, the positive did. angle, because there's really no way to go from the right side on this one. You've no, pretty not. much got to do elimination, because they're just all awful. Well, um... I'm going to fuck Lil Mama. Uh, she's she's okay. I mean, she's not like yeah, she's not unattractive. I mean, if she keeps her mouth shut, it'd be okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing is, I can't marry her for sure. But I know that she's the most fuckable out of the three. So that one's I'm going. Yeah, that's like a positive route. Uh, (laughs) Lil marrying Lil Kim though just sounds like the worst idea ever. Yeah. Maybe not ever. The only idea that would be worse would be marrying Lil Mama, probably. But, <laughs> well, thanks, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea to marry Lil' Kim, so I want to chuck her. And even though she's not attractive at all, Missy Elliott has yet to annoy me with her voice, nor get in as much legal trouble as Lil' Kim. So we'll play it safe with Missy Elliott. <laughs> all right, Paul. <laughs> Uh yeah, these are these are fun, aren't they? Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that next one. Next week. Oh, that one was tough. You just wait for next week. <laughs> I'm gonna put probably like a, a a white female version of what we just did. Okay. So, I think I already know who, who's coming. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> um, on that note, any last parting thoughts, Steve? No, I guess that does it for us this week. All right. Well, we had a good time talking, and uh, hopefully some more interesting stuff happens in the sports world this upcoming week. And we'll hope to have another podcast up for you guys sometime early next week. Yeah, depending on how much stuff there is, that'll determine the interval of the you know next podcast from now. Absolutely. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and have a good weekend. All right. Goodbye. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice.